We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. No Mike. He is traveling with the team today. On Monday's pod, we discussed a pretty disastrous game in Denver. On Tuesday's pod, we discussed probably the best win of the season against the Utah Jazz, in which I was effusively praising that as kind of the blueprint where we have these two distinctive lineups, one being a bigger group that runs drop coverages and kind of plays a certain way. And those are kind of the survival lineups with Russell Westbrook and LeBron both on the floor. Um, and then you've got a speed group off of the bench that is fast and flying around all over the place. Then on Wednesday's pod, we are met with the news that Frank Vogel is basically coaching for his job or is on the hot seat, which was yesterday's pod. And we provided a bunch of context on Vogel where the intent was kind of to put a bow on it at the end. But what it ended up being was this kind of long view, unsatisfying ending where we talk about how the roster was constructed over the course of several years with kind of the point being that we have gone away from defensive players more towards shooting and ball handling in particular, and that we've got this smaller roster in which, and again, we ended that show kind of abruptly, but it was a, this zoomed out three or four year view on the team. One of the things that I love doing, D, in film type of work and a big believer, uh, one thing that I'm a big believer in is the value of changing your perspective, looking very far away at something or looking very up close at something. And so in today's pod, the Lakers lost to the Indiana Pacers in a really bad game where Russell Westbrook got benched down the stretch. The post-game press conferences were quite interesting. And really, it was quite a night and quite a week. Darius, we were talking a couple of weeks back about how this period of time was going to test the Lakers' resolve. Boy, oh boy, what did you see last night in the Indiana game? Yes, the Pacers game. Uh, the Lakers... Two step forward, two step back, one step forward, one step back, one step back, one step back, two step forward season continues. Yeah, it continues in earnest. The little engine that couldn't, it seems. <laughs> what to say? Do you remember when the Lakers were up 15? 
against Isn't the Isn't that strange that we have this kind of pattern? It reminded me of the Sacramento game recently, the most recent one, where it's like when you rewatch the game, it's like, hey, we're hooping for like, and it all it goes the same way. We're good for like a quarter and two thirds and three quarters. And then in the last three minutes, it's like this 15, 14 point lead. It's like we now it's six. Now it's six at halftime. There's a lot to dissect, I think, with this Lakers team. And then on some levels, there's very little. Real analysis of this team. And we spoke for a long time before we started yeah, to record about this. about an hour-long conversation, yep. I think that most things fall into two camps. One is that there are some real strategic things that are either on the wrong path or unresolved in real ways. Um and I think we saw some of that in the Pacers game for sure. And then I think there's another camp that would tell you, well, on some levels, the players are too limited or the roster construction is set up in a way where there are not enough options. And so when things go poorly, then um, it can really cascade on you in in a way that – um, exacerbates whatever what st- whatever smaller struggles were happening, right? And in reality, it's probably a little bit of both. And that's how you get to the point where you're more than halfway through the season and you're under five five hundred with a team that during the first part of the year, um, or before the season started, was looked at as a viable championship contender. And so, in zooming back in to the Pacers game. I was very excited and happy about some of the schematic things the Lakers were doing early in the game. They were switching one through four. Um, They were clearly playing a certain way in respect of um, DeMontis Sabonis' sort of unique skill set as a player. But they were managing that, I think, fairly effectively. They were matching Dwight's minutes with him. For for example, um, they were switching almost all actions except for the screens that involved him in one five screen screen and roll actions. And even then they were executing peel off switches when needed in order to try to contain um, the ball handler and and Sabonis, particularly late in the shot clock, which so then he doesn't necessarily have an opportunity to go dive into the post or maybe even go and attack on on the, the offensive glass because maybe he picked and popped. So there was a lot to like, I thought. And then as the game wore on, there was less and less to like. Um, and an interesting pivot point to me, Pete, and I don't want to like pin this um, on Carmelo Anthony by by any means because he was a plus three in the box score. He shot 50% from, from the field. But I thought it was illuminating um, that A, first game back from missing three games and he played the second most minutes of any Laker. Um, for an oldish player, that seemed a little bit like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, the second part of it was... Because the Lakers hadn't had Melo in a few few games, um, to have him back into to the mix and the types of successes that the Lakers had had with Melo out. Especially um, in the Utah game. Yeah. Especially in the Utah game. But even in different stretches where Stanley Johnson had taken on sort of a bigger role, that the differences between um, 
or the ideas that Mello puts very specific things on the table and takes very specific things off. And then the, the nature in which the schemes started to compensate for the things that he can and cannot do or what you trust him to do and not do, I thought were super interesting within the context of, of the Pacers, especially um, particularly on, on defense, because some of those smaller lineups um, that you would expect to switch with, right. Um, we're not switching anymore. And it was, be, and I, I'm not in the coaches meetings, but I would venture to guess it was a combination of, oh, well, we we sort of fear Sabonis in these very specific ways. Mm-hmm. And B, um, we don't trust Carmelo Anthony to do those things, right? And 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 so talk to me a little bit about what you saw, because um, I'm assuming you've rewatched yeah, the game at this point. I, for sure. And I think the point that that you bring up is indicative of a broader truth about this team in that the lineups are very sensitive and who you play when and within what scheme is going to really determine how well that unit plays. And so seeing them play so well, let's talk about that Utah game a bit and revisit it in the context of it's without I think. Mello. It's very important without Mello and then with Mello. And this is not to say that Mello has not been a contributing player uh, f- for this team. Of course, it's just the vet minimum guys in particular have very specific circumstances in which they work and then others in which they don't. And so the season is ideally an exploration of, of where that works. Oh, that we tried that. It didn't work. Let's do something else. We tried this. It did work. Let's keep this kind of locked into, into place in the Utah game, the small groups with, with and without LeBron, because right now Westbrook's minutes have been cut. And again, he was benched at the end of this, which I'm sure we'll get to later. But in context of that, we've been playing some lineups that don't have LeBron or Russ on the floor at all. Yes. And they've played pretty well in terms of their floor game. They had kind of a bad luck stretch in the third quarter of the Utah game where we kind of lost the rope and lost the lead. There were some 50-50 balls we didn't come up with, but like on the rewatch, it's like the ball is going to bounce some way. Like Donovan Mitchell, a f- couple of turnovers too that were just inattentive things. It just happened within the context of, of a basketball game. Right. And it's not like, oh, what are you doing? But I really want to talk about the nature of those groups with respect to Carmelo Anthony, because there's a version of that group without LeBron, and then there's a, there's a version of them with him. When you play small, this is a broader um, this is a broader basketball philosophy. When you play small, what you need to rely on defensively is speed and athleticism. Those are the things where if I can't be bigger than you, maybe I can be faster than you. Maybe I can jump higher than you. Maybe I can run. You know, just all of the elements that. Smaller players have advantages over bigger players. You have to play toward that. But when you go small and Carmelo Anthony is one of those players, you reduce the degree to which you are fast. He's not athletic. He's somebody that if defensively, if he can strip you, he's got really good hands. He'll do that. He can bang a little bit in the post. But if you're asking him to jump around the basket or if you're asking him to move his feet on the perimeter, you're going to lose those battles most of the time. But that's the nature of how small ball groups generally need to play, that that is what the like. We were texting last night like, oh, Melo looks really bad in this group and in this style of play. But we lost that game in the fourth quarter, essentially, defensively, when we gave up 35 points. And part of that is that there's a misalignment between those small ball groups 
and it, like and and funneling guys into the paint like they attacked Melo over and over again in drop coverages and if we're switching they're probably attacking him in switches too i would argue that what you do in that and this is something that's really good at that vogel's been actually very influential around the nba is that when your defense is switching and they're going to be like, okay, who's the slowest guy? Who's the guy we can exploit? Uh, okay, Mello. We're going to want Mello on Levert, who kicked our butts left and right in that fourth quarter. What you do there, it's it's the switch and then trap right there. This yeah, is something you run we've a done second, for years. You, you run a second guy at him. You rotate behind him. And and the ask on the backline guys goes up. It but does. You, but you hope that you hope that you force enough misses or yes. mistakes or a misread here yes. or a reset of the shot clock, a pass out, scramble back. Okay, now you want to do it all over again? There's only 10 seconds on the shot mm-hmm. clock now. Like, how do you want to handle it now when there's not 20 seconds left on the shot clock? Exactly. And ideally, on those traps, you have your two worst defenders on the floor on the trap. This is one of the concepts of playing smaller. This I'm, this is a topic I've talked a lot about a lot about this year. I was talking to Mike yesterday that I was raised kind of within basketball as a as a small ball coach, and because my team was pretty small, and so it was like, how do we how do we win a game against a bigger team? And like the way you go about it is different than doing it with bigger players. One of the things I've loved about watching Frank Vogel teams over the last years when he's had the personnel to do it is how do bigger teams win? How do bully ball teams win? And I've learned so much about back pressure and hedging and drop coverages and all of all of these things, right? Anyhow, with small ball groups, you're smaller and you want to keep people away from the, the rim. And if, but there are all these questions that pop up of like, if we switch, what if we get Malik Monk stuck on Sabonis? We really expect Malik Monk to defend Sabonis. And what it becomes is those mismatches, the mismatches get two, whether that's a sandwich rebound where it means Malik Monk is trying to put a body on him and Russell Westbrook comes in and flies and gets the rebound or vice versa. Those are the ways that you address that. If it's Carmelo Anthony versus Karis LeVert out on the perimeter, that's the trap. And ideally it's Monk and Melo as the trappers, which means that it's LeBron and your three best defenders in the four on three off of that. Let's take a quick break. I know we're getting really into the minutia of schemes and all of that, but this is what I wanted to do with this pod is tie together, and it's probably going to take a couple pods to do this, but tie together like the roster construction and kind of the direction this team is going in with some of the misalignments with playing smaller that that, that the roster has dictated that I, I think is a big part of why we're, we are where we are. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
So yeah, that's the perspective D where I'm coming from is trying to report as best I can. Like this is what I see happening um, from a perspective of we are playing a different style of basketball. And so with respect to Melo, having like dropping with him, I don't, you follow Caitlin Cooper. She covers the Pacers. I am going to find an, an excuse to have her on the show, if, if at all possible. She's wonderful. She's been laughing at us this morning on on Twitter about our coaching and our coverages about, thank you for dropping with Mello. That was hilarious. Thank you for not targeting or, Jeremy Lamb. Or at Lamb. least putting Mello on Sabonis. Or put, Mello, or right? put LeBron on Sabonis is what she was saying. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. And, and just all of these these different things that there are some places between where – Coaching a bully ball team, a big team, the way you go about it is just so different that if you use bully ball philosophies with a small ball team, like think about being a, a, a small person and saying like, I'm going to be a bully, right? Try sure. being a bully as a small person, you're going to get your butt kicked. And, and that's kind of I, I, where I see where we're at in a lot of ways. So I agree with that, but only to a certain extent. Sure. So because there's also small guys who have like Napoleon complex to a certain extent, right? And they're the dudes who have an elite amount of dog in them. Mm -hmm. Like everyone has the small homie where it's like when things are going down, guess who's ready to jump to the front of the line? Yeah. Right. And, (laughs) and so last night there was a comment that Frank Vogel made in the post game presser. And he talked about his guards were not rebounding very well. And we'll, I think, use this as a way to get into Russ soon, mm-hmm. right? But Frank Vogel said the guards were not re- will rebounding well. And an astute follow-up question was, well, you're playing smaller. Isn't losing some of the rebounding battle, baked, basically, isn't that baked in to playing smaller? And Vogel like, wasn't trying to hear any oh, of that. Oh, Vogel basically shot back with, an immediate response like no because he's correct about that by because the way. if you are committed to hitting people mm-hmm. you're not going to lose those rebounding battles you're going to win them right and so that idea of use regardless so yes so i agree pete leverage your quickness leverage your athleticism right Oh, we got Malik Monk. Malik Monk can touch the top of the square. He wins a lot of those tip-away rebounds. When he flies in from the perimeter. Uh Flies in, drops down. He does that a lot. And those were the plays he was not making in games 1 through 10. And there was a reason why in games 1 through 10, Malik Monk was was not not playing playing. very much. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Right? And so over the course of the season, he's been trusted to play more. And one of the reasons why he's been trusted to play more is because the things that are asked of him, he's been doing more of them. Defensively, especially. Defensively, yes. especially. So that's illustrative to me of there is a certain part of, well, if you play small, you can't just be quick and fast and jump high because the bully at some point will make the game in a phone booth, right? The game's not always going to be free-flowing and quickness and low, a jumping contest. The game is also going, going to be when you're in the trenches, can you, can you get the inch that you need or the six inches that you need in order to knock a guy off and secure the ball? And the Lakers, when they've been at their best 
playing small have had that element to to them as well. You have to play and hard and fast with fast, the motor and right and and there's a certain amount of physicality like the one of the lasting images that I think we'll have from this entire season is Stanley Johnson, right? To me at least, one of the biggest plays from that game against the Jazz people will look at Stan Stanley Johnson sort of flexing after the finish in 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 the open court against Gobert. The thing that I'll remember from that game is Bogdanovich, who's a a bigger dude than what you actually think he is. He's a legit 6'9". He's probably 240, right? He is a solidly built dude. He drove to the paint and he tried to Euro and basically put his shoulder right into Stanley Johnson in order to finish over the top of him. Stanley ate that shoulder like it was. Yep. He he just took it and absorbed that full blow, stripped down, took the ball. Not like, not like, oh, I knocked it away. It's a loose ball scrum. He swiped down and stole it. Mine. Give me that. Right. And that there is a certain amount of physicality that you need as well when you're going to play those smaller units. And again, I'm going to use Mello here not to single him out. Because he can win some of those battles of strength, right? But there's, but what he's not going to do is win the battles where strength and speed are required. Yeah, he's not going to win speed and battles, athleticism, and jumping, verti- and verticality is is required. And so that's we shouldn't where ask him of, to do that. That's right. That's right. And the tricky part is though, and we were getting into this a little bit um, before the pod is. Melo has sweat equity with this team. He's got, he has sweat equity with this coach. Before this recent stretch where he missed these, these games, I think he'd appeared in all but one game for the Lakers this, this season. It was like him and Russ, like a week ago, it was him and Russ who had, were the only two guys that had played in every single Laker game. Every single time Frank Vogel's been asked about Carmelo Anthony, he has raved about him mm-hmm. as a player, as a voice in the locker room, as this someone who This is also brings- relevant within the broader context, D, of, you know, he's on the hot seat reports, right? Yes. Like this is, and this even goes to the Russ benching, right? Is like when you're coaching, you know, in that environment, like what do you really believe in? Who do you trust? That well, idea no. of trust is is super, super important. So remember the playoff series against the Suns? I think we've all forgotten it. Oh, I now. remember it. I, yeah. Right. Well, of course, you you've remembered it. You watched every single game 15 times. <laughs> no, I didn't do that to myself. But yes. no, but I'm yeah. just saying, <laughs> no, no, right. You, you were you. living in the yeah. tape. Win or go home. Game six or whatever it was. It was game six, right? Or game. Mm-hmm. It game was six, game yeah. six. So it's win or go home. Remember what those closing lineups look like? It was like there was no Dennis. There was uh-huh. like Dennis. Drummond didn't start. That Drummond was the one game Drummond didn't like, play. Yep. Drummond didn't play. And and Vogel basically said, I'm dancing with who brought me. Right? Or with the guys that I trust mo- the most. Yes, yes. No, and that's the thing is he had equity. The guys who had equity with him were the holdovers from the championship team, right? And so it's just like, yeah, I'm going to play Kuz. I'm going to play Caruso. I'm going to play KCP, LeBron. If LeBron has to play center, I'm going to – he trusted Mark Gasol. Like, I'm going to play Mark. I think it had been proven to that point in the, the series that 
those that specific mix of guys probably was not going to be able to get it done, right? But in the big picture, those are the guys that he trusted. And so I bring it back to Melo now. Melo played 30 minutes last, last night in a return from injury game where he had not played in basically a week and in a game where I thought Stanley Johnson played well and the bench units were all plus again that's for the where we won that game. game. And I think that's by design, right, is that those starting lineups, they got three guys in them that shouldn't be starters, right, between Bradley, Howard, and Ariza. But I think the idea is to survive those groups and then win the game with those bench groups. And so, but there's Mello. And I think one of the reasons, and it was it was very interesting to me that it was Mello on the court who would, Mello has his limitations. If you, if any of us, you and me, Pete, or any of the people who listen to, to this pod think that we understand Carmelo Anthony's weaknesses as a player better than this coaching staff, we're all fully ourselves. Of course. The of coaching course. staff understands the strengths and weaknesses of the players way more than us. And so I found it instructive that in a game that maybe Frank Vogel is coaching like it's win or go home for him. Right. Based off of the recent reports, who knows how severe it actually is up there. Right. No one knows that. And we're not going to speak to that. I wouldn't speak to that even if I didn't know. Sorry, (laughs) listeners. That he did say, yeah, we went with the guys who we thought would win the game. And the weaknesses we're taking into account, those are all baked into some of the decision making that that we made. So let's take a break here, because in this last segment, I do want to talk about Russell Westbrook not playing in those final minutes. Some of Vogel's postgame comments again about the rebounding and just sort of are we at a crossroads now here with Russell Westbrook to a certain extent and what it looks like coming out of this and going into a six game road trip. So, Pete, Russell Westbrook didn't play down the stretch of the game. Vogel went to Malik Monk and I think Austin Reeves um, Mm -hmm. and at the guard positions. And after the game, he talked about rebounding, which is one of Russ's strengths as a player. And so I think pointing to the fact that that was a problem. And then you look at the box score and you look at Russ's rebounding numbers. There's not a lot of um, mystery to some of his frustrations. Um, I also thought Russ didn't have a particularly engaged defensive game, especially Mm -hmm. down the stretch. I agree. And so not one of Russ's better performances. You add on the fact that he struggled as a scorer or not necessarily a scorer, but he shot a very low percentage, even though he was lights out from three. He made a bunch of three pointers last game. Um, Where are they at now with Russ? Like it's a tricky thing to bench a guy. Um, especially one of your stars, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, and come back from that. Um, Subsequent reporting from ESPN's Dave McMenamin said that Russ um, left the court early before the clock expired and left the locker room early. um, If if I'm quoting the article correctly, um, before the rest of his teammates had finished showering, Russ had already left the locker room. So there was not a lot of post-game conversing around the circumstances of, of the evening. So where, where do you think, just as an outside observer, right? Just like, it's a difficult thing now to navigate, I would think, with that's, that's how one you of those come things, back from that. Yeah, that's one of those things that, like, if you go to that card of benching Russ, I think, one, you should... 
probably be right. Like we didn't go on to win that game. We didn't we did play not. particularly well down the stretch That's of right. that game either. And the reason that we lost that game is because we gave up 35 points in the fourth quarter and couldn't get a defensive stop, of which Russ contributed to that. But his absence on the court in exchange for other players, certainly that didn't resolve that. That wasn't what the problem with that game was. So for one, if you do that, it should ideally result in your team playing better. Secondly, um, I it, it's a card that you play once in part because you you alienate Russ in the process of that. Now that the degree to which people may think that matters, I think it's a lot because the best version of this team of this team, no matter what you think of it, of what you whether or not you like it, uh, is the best version of this team includes Russell Westbrook. It includes ideally getting to the best version of him. The starting lineup, for so for example, this is part of and where I want to tie things together with the last pod. The way that it that it ended was, I, I made a comment about how that in service of the defense, we're playing groups that really struggle on the offensive end. So we talked about that bench group and talked about Mello and that lineup and all that. You've got a starting lineup of Russ and Dwight, Ariza, Bradley, and LeBron. Bradley, Ariza, and Dwight in particular on the offensive end are well below what your average starter in the NBA is going to provide you. That's a rough they're, group D. They're also dependent. They're almost entirely dependent as well on others creating shots for them. They and in the case of Ariza and Dwight, especially that their windows are very small. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we saw that with Dwight a little bit. Yeah, you can't but, just like throw a lob up to old Dwight and just throw it up there and he'll catch and, it and, and he's going to throw that down. It's, or he's not or that even like catch a ball in traffic, create space, go up and finish. Right. right. And then you see this a lot with Ariza. So if you want to get drunk during a game. <laughs> take a shot every single time a ball gets kicked out to Ariza and he looks open for a second, but then he ball fakes and tries to dribble yeah and attacks take a shot every single time that that Mm -hmm. happens yeah and then if it leads to something positive drink a glass of water next if it leads to something negative (laughs) take another shot (laughs) and then at the end of the game tweet pete something at laker film room so that he can read your thoughts about it all Thank you for your service, everyone. But this is the point you were making about. Yeah, yeah. So, so like, what does it have to do with Russ, right? Yeah. You asked me a question about Russ, and I'm going yeah. off about the starters and a reason all of that is that when you have severely, not just a severely limited offensive player, you have three of them off of the ball, and Russ has severe offensive limitations of his own. And so that's another lineup where my dis- defensive decision-making as the other coach for the other team is like, do I want to, sh- what do I want to shut off? You, you always have a choice defensively. I, I call this picking your problems in that, like what you do as a defensive coach, you kind of have be able to dictate, uh, like you even mentioned yesterday that, that we did a good job on Sabonis in part because we were running the drop coverages, right? And we were like, we shut Sabonis down as a scorer more so in, in, as a result of doing that. The problem is that it causes problems elsewhere. And so 
from a defensive coach's standpoint, when I'm when I'm trying to defend that starting lineup, there is no chance I'm letting Russell Westbrook get into the paint. He hit three threes in the first half. I believe it was in the first half. He certainly hit uh, he hit three threes in the game, and he hit a couple of jumpers early on, right? Four, but, I thought. I think he hit four. Did threes. he hit four? four? I think you're right. That four yeah. three knocked it down from eight to five. That was a big shot when that was the Lakers' funny. offense was really struggling. That was kind of funny because he had created a, a shot for Talon. I think he got an assist to Talon. He hit the three and then went the, to the bench soon thereafter. And yeah. especially in a game where Melo was really struggling, I was like, oh. Russ is the guy that goes yeah. to the bench here. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyhow, from a defensive coach's perspective, they have so many places where they can pull off attention, meaning that it's like, oh, I'm going to take a half step off of Ariza. I'm not going to worry so much about Dwight because he's not the lob threat that he – like you have to be really accurate with that pass. And all of those decisions end up with a body creeping a little more into the paint. Yeah, you shrink the floor. You shrink, you shrink the floor. The, you shrink the floor. That's and right. so – I have such low expectations of Russell Westbrook being able to perform in that particular environment that there's a certain degree of this where I'm like, of course, he's not performing in in those groups. Now, he wasn't good in the other groups either, mind you, right? Yeah. Some of those groups have their issues. But my, my thought is that Russ should be able to offensively contribute in the the lineups that are optimized for for spacing, right? And so that's more of a, a player thing at that point in terms of where I'm assigning blame or or things things like that. The thing is though, is that like there's the fact that he got pulled from from the game when he did and it didn't go better, it wasn't it didn't resolve anything. It didn't address our defensive issues. I think that's telling too. And I think again, if you're gonna play that card, like you gotta be right about it and going forward like what do you think man like is this a manageable situation going forward i mean i'm not in the room so it's hard to know yeah this is really speculative on, on right. that end yeah and 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 so i agree that it would have been better if it worked right like if you go and win win the game i also think too that the nature of it tells me that when russ went to the bench the lakers were losing right and they basically lost, I think, by the same amount of points that they were down when Russ went to. Sure, yeah, to it the got bench. it got into double digits, and then I think the final margin was seven. Yeah, like or a, something LeBron like that. got yeah. a layup at the end that right. basically didn't count. So, my feeling, my feeling is, and again, some of this is informed by the reporting that David McMenamin did, right, which was sort of conversations amongst the front office and the coaching staff about like. Do what you got to do. Do what you got to do. And so this idea of like, okay, well, we're benching this guy, this game. In the post game, I would have loved to have given Frank Vogel the truth serum because I bet that he was trying to play the players that he thought would win the game. I also bet that if you let him talk for maybe 20 more seconds, right? A part of his message might have been, we maybe wanted to deliver a little bit of a message about what's appropriate effort or mm. execution level on the defensive end to this specific player, right? Mm -hmm. And that's fair. And the fact that he's a star player. So I was watching some of the Spectrum feed after, and I'm listening to Robert Ory talk. And I'm listening to James Worthy talk. They've been and great, by the way. To me, some of the best analysis of this team has been in the post game show. Big game James has been phenomenal this year, as has Fisher. And 
they were sort of just like, yeah, guess what? This happens. Not everyone gets to close. And it's sort of just like, if, if you're not playing great, guess what? Like mm-hmm. sometimes a decision happens and they were almost taking, taking the name off of the marquee and sort of going in there blind. And if you're just like, okay, well, this is this act that I'm seeing, are they good or are they bad? When you go to the concert, oh, they're good. Well, it's just like, well, of course they're good. That's the roots. You didn't know? Like, right. th- they're famous, right? But if you had no idea that that's who they were, you would just be like, oh, man, they're vibing. They're yeah. like, like they're <laughs> grooving. That's my style, right? Sure. And then if you go to a different show and you're just like, who is this? I don't like them at all. And then the person next to you is just like, are you kidding me? That's you too. Like, what are you talking about? That's mm-hmm. Bono up there. You don't like Bono? And I'm just like, ah, oh, kind of wasn't feeling them. Yeah. Like, I'd never heard of them before. And some of it is just like, okay, well, in the big picture of the, like, so uh, getting back to Frank Vogel, it's sort of just like, w- would I put it past him to sort of be like, nah, man, like, we've seen some of this a few too many times this season. And in this case, like, am I on the hot seat? Could I be fired? Well, Let's go back to that Sun series again. Mm-hmm. What do you do when what do you, you gotta do play when your, all, when mm-hmm. all the chip when when all the chips are down? There's a lot and of truth. It's time to that's make a the decision. truth serum, Darius. That's you talk about it, the truth serum in the post game. The truth serum is in the action. Yes, and so in that moment, so if you're asking me where does it go from from here, if I'm going to take a, I don't want to say a positive outlook or anything like like that. I will say Frank Vogel is a good communicator. He's an honest and straightforward guy from what I've seen and everything that I've heard both on the record and off the record about what type of man he is in terms of his communication and how he handles players and what his interactions are with them. Was Russ upset after? I bet he was. Is Russ going to stay upset at Frank Vogel? I have no idea. Do I think Frank Vogel is going to make his best effort to bridge whatever gap exists between him and his starting point guard? I do. Where mm-hmm. things go from there, I have no clue, Pete. I really don't. But Likewise. if there's a guy who I think is going to make the right effort, I do believe Frank Vogel is, is that guy. I also know that Russell Westbrook is someone who is – he wants to win. He cares. It matters to him. Of all the messaging that Frank Vogel has had mm-hmm. about – Russell Westbrook, that has been one of the underlying things. Russ cares. Mm -hmm. This stuff matters to him, Mm -hmm. right? And so where it goes from here, I do not know. I know that we want to wrap soon, but it's just like this is an unanswered question, and it leads us into a six-game road trip where I do think the the potential for fraying is still there. Very much so. This is always going to be the toughest time. Yep. And the idea of can we come together is super important. Hopefully – Anthony Davis is a part of this six-game road trip, not because he is some soothsayer who is going to bring everybody together in this kumbaya moment, but because the way that you actually help your team is by being better on the basketball floor. And guess what? He can do Anthony that. Davis is going to help with that, mm-hmm. if nothing else. And so I'll be interested to see where this team goes. But I do think that within that locker room, there's a bunch of good faith actors and not bad faith actors I when, when it comes to this stuff. And and if there's a glimmer of hope in this or the North Star that we've talked about, LeBron being on, on the court, I think that there is some of that there too with this group of guys. It's just like, 
like we know we still know what we're after. Mm-hmm. And I trust the conversations to be truthful and honest and transparent about where they are. We we still know what we're after, but I feel like we've been banging our heads into the same wall in some aspects for too long. And as a result, we've lost some games to teams. We've lost a disproportionate number of games to teams that we shouldn't be losing to, flawed as the roster may be, right? Indiana was 3-17 and 17 on the road coming into that game. They played well in that game, by the way. That was... I've watched a few of their games. I Again, I love Caitlin has great coverage. And uh, so I watched them a decent amount. They played really well for them, but we helped facilitate that a bit. And so like the idea, we have too many misalignments right now to where we don't have the talent to overcome it. And But I, I truly believe that if there's more alignments in certain areas, such as switching with small groups instead of funneling players into the paint, that we'll have a greater degree of success. And it's more foundational in that it's not going to change every night like this is what we do there's going to be problems that arise when it's like a a sabonis and you don't want to switch on to sabonis but that's what small teams do you have to figure out that problem and there are established solutions for that anyway there are several directions that that this can go we do have that road trip coming up in which i do think that the potential for fraying is great and again this is going to be the the toughest time i also do believe that if certain things come into alignment you're going to see a much less aggravating team that doesn't lose as many games to bad teams going forward but we're not playing as many bad teams going forward Anyway, we'll be back tomorrow to talk about the upcoming road trip, more of the ramifications of the rust benching, and a whole lot more here on the Laker Film Room Podcast. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen. Brian, 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 Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.